got me. Okay, there we are. Woohoo! My fault. Last week, Ben uh, took us through Philippians 3, and I want to pick up what uh, one of the major points he brought out, and I think absolutely was right on. Uh, and it's critical because our where we're going to be in Philippians 4 today, at the beginning of chapter 4, it's kind of critical to understand uh, what was said last week. This is what Ben, kind of to summarize uh, what Ben said last week, is that the main thrust of the pass of the book of Philippians is found in chapter 3, and I'm just going to start in verse 19, uh, but then get into verse 20 and 21 where it really uh, hits, hits home, and this will make sense as we finish up today uh, or as we move into Philippians chapter 4. In verse 19, and this isn't on the, on the text, but let me just read it. Their destiny is destruction, their God is, uh, th- their, God is their stomach, and their glory is in, in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Keep that in mind. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, the citizens of those of us who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly, eagerly, eagerly await the Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. And and the point that Ben really brought out last week was that we're citizens of heaven. And so today our focus will be on how should we think as citizens? How are we to go about our daily lives? How should we engage our mind? That is where we're going today, and so today's title is Citizen Think. Okay, How are we to think? And I really want you to think about how you think. Okay, I want you to process how do you, Monday through Sunday, how do you go about your daily life? How do you think? What do you focus on? That is the crux. Because how you think throughout the week determines determines so greatly how you will live your life. And that's where we're going to be today. But before we get into that, Philippians starts out in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Oh, we're missing a slide there. But let me just, let's go back up. Let's go up to uh, chapter uh, 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my crown and joy stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yudaya, and I plead with, uh, and that's, it's a fancy signiste or something like that in the Greek. Don't know how to say it, so we'll just call him synth. To be the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So at the very end of the book of Philippians, Paul's about to take him. He's just stated the main point, and that is that we live here on earth, but we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of a place of eternity where God, our Savior, lives. This is what Ben was getting at last week. And what's interesting is he's starting to contrast this. He's starting to close out his book, and in chapter 4, he addresses a very specific issue. What we read is that there seems to be two gals in, this, in the church of Philippi, of, 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 of Philippi that are uh, in conflict with one another. And Paul basically says, I plead with you both, you two ladies, to be of the same mind. 
And it's really interesting. He doesn't say, like, stop arguing or anything like that. He's like, sync up your mind. Get your minds together. Be unified. And the question that comes before us is, how do you unify your mind? How do you get your mind right? Especially when you're in deep conflict with someone. And I'm going to just, just really quickly give you an idea of how you become one mind. You know, <clears throat> I've had conflict with people. I know it's hard to believe, but I've had conflict with people. And uh, when I get in conflict, I have a, a picture, a, a, a kind of a mental picture that I do. It's kind of fun but it, it helps remind me of a simple truth, and that's this. When I have a conflict with someone, let me, I'll just you know, uh, pick someone, but let's say I have a conflict, uh, conflict with Jerry. And Jerry, he's, he's sitting, and I picture that we're, we're in a, it's always a pub. I don't know why it's a pub, but the word picture, there's a pub, because you need the swinging doors, okay, you know, in the pub, the old country pub, you know, where you go, you know what I'm talking about, like, dweet, 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 you know. Okay, so I'm sitting at the bar, drinking uh, a uh, very holy, non-alcoholic drink. Um, and, and I'm looking at Jerry and I'm seething. I'm like, oh, Jerry, you just make me so mad. Man, I can't believe. Jerry, you just make me mad. And, and, and my focus is on him and how he makes me mad. And then all of a sudden, through the doors come angels, and then the Lord Jesus Christ walks through the door in his glory. And I'm looking. And you know what's interesting when you do this little word game? All of a sudden, Jerry and I, we get off, I get off my stool, he gets out of his chair, and we bow down. We are of one mind. The king of kings has just walked in the room. Strangely enough, that's how I do it. I don't care who your conflict is with or whatever, but to be of one mind is to picture you both bowing to the Lord Jesus in complete love and adoration together. You know, I don't care what the conflict is, but if Jesus shows up, there is no conflict greater than the bowing down to the King of Kings. Am I right? That's my word picture. And that's basically what Paul's asking these two ladies to do. Hey, look, you guys have done so much for the kingdom of God. You've done so much for the gospel movement. Be of one mind. And when I mean be of one mind, focus on Jesus and picture what he's done for you both and just agree to disagree and be okay with it. But another interesting thing he says in here, and there's several interesting things, I won't even get into the crown, but Paul, he loves to use this image of that there is actually some rewards we get for uh, kind of working hard and suffering for the gospel. Um, I'm going to leave that alone because there's so much to be said about that. But one other thing he says is he contrasts these ladies and the others who've helped them with the gospel as ones being written in the book of life. That's actually what they're supposed to be of one mind about. They're written in the book of life. They're going to live for eternity with Jesus. They're going to live in eternity in heaven. Paul wants to make sure that is fundamentally uh, seen between them in their conflict. You are good to go. There is nothing more to worry about. You are going to live forever in in the presence of, of God. But here's an interesting thing. He's contrasting that with chapter 3. If you remember in verse 19, that their destiny is destruction, talking about those who are, live of this world, who live in this world, who think about earthly things, who focus on earthly things, who live for the world. Their path is destruction. That's what he says. Their stomach is their God. That means they just follow, as Ben said last week, they just follow the, their fleshly desires, whatever they want. 
You know, I hate Halloween. Why do I hate Halloween? Because if there's a bowl full of candy and Chris Green is walking by it, he is going to grab a thing of candy. i just sorry. My stomach is my God. That was my life verse, according to my wife, for a while. <laughs> but theirs is a path of destruction. And what he's saying here is that you, those of you who are citizens of earth, you are written in the book of life. He's, he's, he's uh, juxtaposing those two views together. And that's what we have. Be of one mind, contrasting the book of life, uh, being written in the book of life. Us as believers, we're all going to the same place. We're all going to live for eternity in the presence of Jesus. Let's all do this together. And when we have our differences of opinion and stuff here on earth, it's no big deal. Just picture Jesus walking in the room. It's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. So that's how he opens up Philippians chapter 4 as he's transitioning to kind of some application to being citizens of earth. Then in, uh, let's skip to, to uh, slide three, I think it is, but rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Anybody have any anxiety today? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, not some, not the big ones, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is, uh, before you can even get it, this is, Paul is starting to apply everything we've been learning in Philippians, and he's going to bring it down to two major points. One is, we must be men and women of prayer if we're citizens of heaven. We must be. You know, my job is, to, uh, in large part, I go and I meet with first responders, police officers, firefighters, EMTs. And they share their anxieties, their stresses with me and all that. And my job is to basically help them get through those struggles. Okay? That's what I do. Um, I'd say it's like 40% of my job. Let's go there. And it's interesting, if they're a believer, it's really simple. Present your prayer requests to the Lord. Present your prayers and your petitions to the Lord with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. This is so fascinating. I am so, and I don't even know if the word tired, but exhausted of being with Christians, and they're going through a major struggle or major conflict, and, and I have to just kind of remind them all the time because they forget that prayer is real, and that prayer does amazing things. It, it, it's amazing, but what prayer, what the guarantee is actually in this passage is not that your prayer will go your way, that God's going to say yes to your prayer request. That is not what it's saying. Here's what it says. It's saying, present your prayer request. And the peace of God, the peace of God, the thing, you know, peace is, is the opposite of like worrying all the time. Do you get that? How many of you have ever worried? Raise your hand if you've ever worried. Those of you not raising your hands, uh, maybe you're a surfer dude from Southern California. Everybody worries. We do. Oh, my gosh. You know, I went camping last weekend with uh, uh, Gary and Heidi Winter and the families. We all went camping. And I got a phone call on Friday night from my water company 
saying that my water was, was kind of going crazy and that I'd used a lot of water. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means. So Sunday when we got home from camping, I go and look and the meter's spinning. I'm like, well, that can't be good because there's nothing on. I started, I turned off the water main and the meter was still spinning. I'm like, whew, that is not good. And I defaulted to the automatic Chris Green reaction, and that is, okay, worry time. You know, and I remember it very distinctly. I, um, this is happening more and more in my life. The Lord's like, when it, how are you going to control? There's nothing you can do. You know, come to find out after I, my sons and I were running around the property trying to shut off every, I mean, I was looking for valves I knew didn't even exist, but I'm like, well, maybe there's like a secret valve. And if you turn that off, it will stop the water meter. Nope, nope, no, no, no such secrets exist on my property. And the Lord, I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? And, I, and then I remember the next day on Monday, I'm calling all the various peoples to find this leak. And I remember the plumber telling me, yeah, I could run like six grand. And I'm like, <gasps> you know, I'm in full-time ministry. I don't make money. I give it away. And I'm just sitting, and, and then the Lord just came upon me. He's like, what are you going to do if you worry? Remember the passage, what, how many seconds will it really add to your life if you worry? You have no control over this, Chris. What are you going to do? I'm like, you know what, Lord? You're right. I give this to you. I can't control it. Even, and I remember the water meter person came and he was checking our meter on Monday night after I decided I'm not going to worry about it. He says, you're leaking seven gallons a minute. I'm like, eh, that's good. Whew. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do about that, am I? I remember his face, he's looking at me like, wow, he's fairly calm. He says, you understand, seven gallons, right? I'm like, yep, yeah, I get it, seven gallons. I'm putting a lake in my property somewhere. I have no idea where. And the Lord was just there. He's just transcending and giving you peace. You know, it was crazy, and I prayed about it. I'm like, Lord, we don't have $7,000 sitting there. What are you going to do? To find the leak, to dig the hole, to fix the pipe underground, was a thousand bucks. The Lord's like, that wasn't that bad, was it? I'm like, well, it's still a thousand bucks. He's like, eh, a little less Taco Bell for you, huh? I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of weird that I just, just chit chat with God all the time, but that's all I got. I don't have control over my life. I have five boys and a little girl that I'm responsible for raising and trying to produce into something that will benefit society somehow. I don't got a lot of hope. All I got is prayer. I can guarantee my kids are going to go through tremendous suffering and pain. I know it. All of our kids will go through tremendous suffering and pain. There is nothing you can do. You can be anxious about it as a citizen of the world, or you can pray, present your prayer request to the Lord through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. That's all we have. And this is so important. I want you to think about this. Look at what the promise is with prayer. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. You know, when you worry, it's your mind spinning up things. It's your mind, right? And your mind starts spinning, and then all of a sudden your heart, and you're like... <gasps> I can't sleep, and oh my gosh, what do I do? And you're just thinking through all these scenarios, right? You're just like, oh, you know, it could be this. And most of the time, the scenario that you actually dream up is not the scenario that actually happens. That's like most of the time. So you're, you don't even guess right. 
But if we just go with prayer and petition to the Lord and the peace just comes upon us, then all of a sudden your mind's like, you know what, Lord's got it. In fact, most of the time when something major happens that I don't like, I look back and God did something amazing. A year or two later, I can look back and go, oh, that's what you did. You did that, so this would happen, this would happen, and something greater happened than even I could have imagined. That's most of the time what happens. But here's the telltale. Let me get back to the practical. If you are a citizen of heaven, if you are a follower of Christ, your number one inclination when anxiety and stuff comes on you should be to pray. If you are not praying instantly when that stuff happens, or praying pretty quickly when it happens, you need to ask yourself why. That is fundamental. You have to ask yourself, why are you not praying? Is it because you don't believe God is actually there? Well, that's a problem. Do you believe that God won't answer your prayers? That's a problem. Why aren't you praying when stuff happens? You know, one of my favorite, uh, and I wouldn't have read this guy except that my, one of my heroes, Ravi Zacharias, it's one of his top three books. Lawrence Ravenhill, or uh, uh, I got it wrong again, didn't I? What was, uh, Steve, bring, bring the fact. Well, we're going to read it, actually. Say it. Leonard. Leonard Ravenhill. I did that earlier. I don't know what's wrong with me. Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book called Revival, Why Revival Tarries. I can just read two chapters of that book. It will convict you beyond all conviction. It's amazing. It's a great book. If you want to pray more, read that book. You will pray more, guaranteed. All right, let me give you a couple of quotes out of this in, in uh, Ray, uh, Leonard Ravenhill. The ugly fact is that the altar fires are either out or burning very low. He's talking about the church. The prayer meeting is dead or dying. By our attitude to prayer, we tell God that what was begun in the spirit, we can finish in the flesh. What church ever asks the candidating ministers, that's the people working in the church, what time they spend in prayer? Yet ministers who do not spend two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime a dozen, degree or no degree. You know, it's true. I, I was uh, on staff at a very large church, and um, I was asked to leave staff because I didn't have a certain, I didn't have the master's degree. I'll never forget that. I was actually hurt. I was at a Sherry's restaurant when they told me that I was going to have to leave staff if I didn't get my master's degree. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, totally get it. Totally understand. I got to get my master's degree. I wish I would have had this passage, or, you know, I wish I had read this book because I would have just shouted this right back at them. I, it wouldn't have been right by any means, but it, it made me feel good at the time. But it's so true. We are so hooked on credentials and all this other stuff that we don't look into the very depth and the nature of the believers. And when it says ministers, I think that's everybody. He's referring to everybody in the church. We're all ministers. But when we come and we say, hey, you're going to be the pastor of our church or you're going to be the worship leader of our church, what's your prayer life look like? That's what he's trying to get at. You know, it was cool. When I, I came to Eastridge, I didn't know anybody. We just snuck in. Tony was a friend of ours. And uh, eventually I needed office space, so Eastridge loaned me some office space. And I remember uh, Dwayne and I were becoming pretty good friends. And I would always, I, I'm a early, I get here early, like 6.30 in the morning, I'd get here. And about 7 o'clock, I'd do my little prayer walk in the hallway, and I would see Dwayne's car. And Dwayne and I like to chit-chat, okay? We like to talk. And so I'm like, oh, Dwayne's here. I can go talk to him. But I couldn't find him. 
Like, that's weird. Did he just drop his car off and, like, leave? That's weird. And one day I caught him, and what he does is he gets here every morning, and he walks around the church, and he prays. And I remember thinking, this is a church for me. My pastor prays with passion. That's what you should be looking for. Let's go another quote. The two, prerequis- the two prerequisites to a successful Christian living are vision and passion, both of which are born and maintained by prayer. The ministry of preaching is open to few. So only a few of us will be preachers, right? The ministry of preaching is open to few. The ministry of prayer, the highest ministry of all human offices, is open to all. Catch that. Check this next quote. Prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. How many of you would do business in the business world with a man with no capital? I've seen those people, they're called beggars. When you're in business world, you gotta have capital, right? That's what you do, you invest in things, you hopefully make money, it comes back to you, that's our world. And prayer, for those of us in the church, is the same thing, that is our primary asset, that's all we have. We have the word of God and we have prayer. Prayer is to the believer, what capital is to the businessman. Can any deny that in the modern church setup, the main cause of anxiety is money? Yet, what, uh, yet that which tries the modern churches the most troubled the New, church, the New Testament church the least. Our, ascent, our, accent, on praying, uh, on, our accent on paying, theirs was an accent on praying. When we have paid, the place is taken. When they have prayed, the place was shaken. In the matter of the New Testament, spirit-inspired, hell-shaking, world-breaking prayer never has so much been left by so many to so few. For this kind of prayer, there is no substitute. We do it or die. Folks, there is so much to pray for for the church right now. Not in a bad way. It's not because the world's bad all of a sudden, okay? The, world, the world's always been evil. The world has always been counter to God. That's the whole story of the fall. So it's not that. The attitude, the shift has been in the church, not the world. The world is doing what the world does. It's the church that has started to shift. And, you know, what's really cool, we have Kim Wiles and a bunch of people who, over the last couple of years, lifted up prayer here at the church and made it more and more of an impact. Every day before services, they're in there praying. It is so fundamentally important that we learn to pray as citizens of heaven. You must pray. And I know two hours, you know, Leonard was all into two hours. There's actually a passage where he talks about praying five hours in the book. It's crazy. He prayed a lot. If you don't pray, though, just go pray. Just, you know, 10 minutes, then 15, then 20, and then eventually you're doing it all the time. We have got to pray and what we're praying for is the church to have a positive, mighty, missional impact on the world. That's what we're praying for. Quit worrying about. I mean, I watch Fox News and I watch, you know, I watch the other news channels too. I read the news all the time. And I, you know, you're just like, oh, that's not good. You know, how many of you have had that? Whew, that's not good. But our problem shouldn't be, okay, oh, I really hope this guy gets elected. That's not the answer. Okay. The answer is 
Okay, let's try this again. I really hope this guy gets confirmed because he's going to be the savior of the world. Or is it? It's prayer. I know it's simple, but that's what it is. What's not simple is going out and just doing it consistently, daily in your lives. You know what I discovered this weekend? That Noah was there. I knew it was there, I just didn't know how cool it was. Mount Tabor, right over here. Mount Tabor, uh, there's like a little, uh, what do they call it, wildlife trail over here. That is my new prayer zone. You know, you saw the movie Prayer Room. <laughs> if you watch me pace, there's no room that can contain me when I'm praying. I need a whole, like, trail system. My wife and I and the kids went and walked it yesterday. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm out there praying. The kids are up there, and I'm just like in the back praying. And It is so awesome to pray and have the peace of God upon guarding your heart and your mind. That's what we need. Let's move on. Now that we know that prayer is fundamental, is, is when he's closing up Philippians, he's saying, hey, don't have conflict. Be of one mind. Pray, 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 pray. That's what you do. I want you to remember that. When something's going wrong, you pray. When you got anxiety about your kids, you pray. How many of you think you will have anxiety in the next 10 weeks about your kids in some way? Those of you who don't have kids, how many of you think your parents will have anxiety over you in the next 10 weeks? Pray for them. Your parents need prayer. All right. Philippians, continuing on. Finally, brothers. Philippians verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters. This is the crux. This is my favorite little passage. Um, Joe and I were in the back talking. His favorite passage is in Philippians 2. This is my favorite in Philippians. Actually, Joe's favorite book is Philippians Here's mine. I love this. When Dwayne said, this is what you got, I'm like, I text him back. I'm like, yeah, I got the easy one. This is awesome. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are you supposed to do? Think about such things. Think about it. Okay. This is convicting. All right. How many of you have maybe seen a movie in the last month? Let's go month. Maybe six months. Some of you don't watch movies. Or listen to music. Or whatever. Entertained yourself somehow that wasn't quite lining up with the scripture. You weren't thinking about something that was truthful or noble, right, pure, lovely. How, you don't have to raise your hand mentally, just raise your hand. Yep, hold on, I'm raising mine in my mind. Yeah. See, what he's saying here is, folks, focus your time, focus your energy on what is good. What you put your mind to, kind of what you meditate on, what, what you think about, that's, think about good things. You know, this isn't like the hippie movement, Okay. That's not what he's saying. I'm going to show you why in here in a second. I actually was going to show a video um, from the band. Uh, it's a group called LSD, okay? And uh, it's actually their names. I think it's Labyrinth, Saya, and Daplo. I think that's how you say it. It's three individual band members who I think Colin, some, whatever his name is, brought these three together, and they produced a series of video, uh, music videos. 
their, one of their songs became famous because it's the theme song for the new Note 9. And, uh, but in this video, it's fascinating. I, I shazammed it when I saw the Note 9 commercial because um, I thought it was interesting and I could only understand part of it. Um, and then I watched the video, and if you watch it, it's called Thunderclouds. I was actually going to show you the video because it's so weird. It's like this dude floating on a cloud, like doing the Buddha thing, you know, and he's just floating around singing the song, like, you know, where, where'd the love go? That's basically, the hippie movement was built on the word love, all right? Love isolated. So what's interesting about this is that when you read the scripture, the difference between thinking positively, thinking about just good things, think good thoughts, man, you know that? The difference between that and Christianity in our worldview is that what comes first is think about truth. Think about truth. In fact, I don't believe truth and good thoughts can be separated. When Paul wrote this letter, the very first thing he says is whatever is true, he talks about truth first. He says we got to be about truth. So much of the church today so much of the church today is about kind of making people happy, kind of bending down, pleasing people, making, you know, just let's just show them we love them. Right now they think the church hates them. Let's show them we love them. And they do that by sacrificing the truth. In fact, your Dwayne has, um, he's on the denominational board for the U.S. Covenant, and they have been fighting people who are trying to bring in doctrines and beliefs that are contrary to the scripture, contrary to the truth. These are fundamental. Before you can think positive, man, you have to know what is true and what is false. You have to know what is true and what is a lie. Because it's impossible, I believe, to follow a positive spirit when you're following a lie. Absolutely impossible. And so, in, in part, the church has, has really lost its, its, uh, its um, bearing in some, some of the churches because they've given up truth. They've given up because they just want, you know what, people, we're kind of getting slammed a little bit. We're, you know, politically, there's a lot of people, you know, blaming evangelicals for a lot of stuff. And so, they're like in almost in a preservation mode, and they just want to kind of maintain themselves and, and be okay and they've given up. And I think that's scary. And I mean, to be honest, like when it talks about, here's the thing, Revelation, I think a lot of churches are missing their lampstand and they don't even realize it. God has already removed his lampstand from that body of believers, that, that community of people, because they've given up on truth. In fact, Philippians 4, 8 through 9 continues, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, that God of peace will be with you through prayer and through thinking of the right things and then modeling the right things. And Paul, if he was anything, he was a man of truth. He was a man of truth. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, it says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. All right, I want you to think about that, to demolish strongholds. I guarantee if you're not a person of prayer, you probably might read this passage and go, oh, that's kind of weird. What, demolish strongholds? What are we talking about here? 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready to, uh, to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Okay, so here's what is going on in Paul's writings. Paul is, he wants you to think good thoughts. He wants you to think on what is good and noble and true and praiseworthy and all those things, but truth must come first. You must know what is true, and then you do those things. And in, the, in a lot of his passages, he uses war themes, now, interestingly enough, he puts the war in the spiritual realm, not in the physical. So when you have conflict with the world, it's not the politician that you can't stand. You think it is, but it's not. It's the evil one behind the worldview which the politician ascribes to. In fact, you should feel sorry for and pray for those people because they are following what they think is true. And that is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying truth. And now in this same passage, he's also say, talking about what we mentally th uh, think of. And this is the interesting thing. He says we take every thought captive. We take captive every thought to make us obedient to Christ. I have a lot of thoughts that are disobedient to Christ. What Paul is saying is we're active in there through prayer, by the way. This is in the context of prayer. We're active of taking those thoughts and say, this is not the thought I should have. Get out of here. I do that. I, sometimes I let the thought go a little longer than it should, especially when I'm mad at someone or whatever. But you take that thought captive and you say, this is not in obedience to Christ. Get out of here. And then in prayer, you say, Lord, help me. Help me. I don't want to be captive anymore. But it is an ongoing war. Make no mistake about it. It is not a hippie. Peace, make, make peace not, or make love not war. All those little slogans. Uh-uh. We are in a war. A spiritual war. And it requires us to think and act in truth. In the book, Stuart Murray, in the book Post-Christian, he writes, another fundamental impact on Christendom's shift was the, church, uh, was the church's preoccupation with maintaining its dominance in a society now, uh, uh, I can't even say that word, coterminous with the church itself. But over the centuries, the church became an institution rather than a movement, and its energies were primarily directed toward maintenance rather than mission. I'm not trying to pick on the church here as, as you think of the church. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to motivate us as a church to think about what we do as individuals and in our families and in the greater community. We must think of ourselves as a mission. We are on mission doing something. We're not trying to maintain something. I say this, I, and I say this a little bit. I love Eastridge. I say this with a little bit of fear and trembling, but I'm okay if, if God needs to destroy Eastridge like make it go away, to make the mission happen, I have to be okay with that. Now, I'm, you know, that's a little scary. But if God says, hey, I need Eastridge to go take Portland, and in order to do that, you're going to need to break up and be, and actually Dwayne's already talking about some of this stuff. It may not look like it, it in 10 years, we may not look like we did, but we're okay with that because we're on mission to go take the gospel to the city. 
We're not trying to maintain our own existence. So many organizations, so many organizations are about maintenance now. And that's his point. In the post-Christian world, we've lost the mission. We're just trying to maintain ourselves. The overall, keep going on, this is uh, Nancy Piercy, the overall pattern of evangelical, uh, evangelical, evangelicalism's history is summarized brilliantly by Richard Hofstadter in a single sentence. To the large extent, he writes, the churches withdrew, uh, withdrew from intellectual encounters with the secular world. Now, what she's going to get at here is this, because we're talking about truth. We're on mission, and that mission is to bring truth to the world. That is our mission. We bring that truth in love. Okay? If you remember a couple years ago, Dwayne had a whole series on truth and love. We bring truth to the world. We're not just like, oh, that's great you have that belief. No. We are like, you know, that's probably not the correct belief. We bring truth and love. That's what we do. We bring truth and love and what happened was we've abandoned, in Christian circles, we've abandoned the intellectual side of our experience. So the whole life of intellectual experience and often abandoned the field of rational studies on the assumption that they were natural province of science alone. Three factors have contributed to this. One, churches and seminaries themselves largely withdrew from the intellectual converse, uh, confrontation with the secular world, meaning we abandoned philosophy and all of that. We let the world take care of that. We were just going to be the preachers that marry and bury and preach sermons on Sunday. Okay? We used to, by the way, the church used to be the driving force behind universities and thought, uh, thought places because we brought truth to the world. We've abandoned that truth now. That's what's happening, okay? In a lot of ways, why we're doing Think, Question, Believe, why Dwayne preaches an apologetic-type message up here is because we're trying to bring the intellectual back to the missional church to bring the gospel out there so that we can do whatever is true, okay? Churches and seminaries themselves have largely withdrawn from the intellectual confrontation, uh, confrontation with the secular world, limiting their attention to the realm of practical Christian living, Two, they gave up the idea Christianity uh, gives a comprehensive framework to interpret all of life and scholarship, allowing it to become uh, boxed in the upper story. Uh, she's referring to Francis Schaeffer, who had the upper and lower story. I won't get into that. Here's what she's basically saying. We have compartmentalized Christianity, and it's only relevant on Sundays. And here's the problem. Christianity, what Jesus did in the Bible is he brought a comprehensive worldview. Everything, everything is in the realm of Christianity. Everything is in the realm of what Jesus brought. Political belief is in the realm of Christianity. What we believe about science is in the realm of Christianity. What we believe about history, the arts, everything, Jesus came to change our worldview about everything, not just some things. Just a quick, great reference material, if you want to study that more, is The Truth Project. It's a DVD series. You don't even have to read. You just pop it in. Have a bag of popcorn, pop your, and just let Dell Tackett teach you about worldview. It's awesome. Okay? We've got to take back a comprehensive worldview in all of our lives. This will help us pray more. We have such a great truth to bring. Three, in the process... They abandon an entire range of intellectual inquiry. They're not even asking tough questions to the lower story. They gave in on the demand that the, 
the academic discipline must be religiously and philosophically autonomous, meaning our religious life and our philosophical life, what we think about science and medicine and all that, it's separate. You know, we look back at the people way, way, way back and we laugh because they did kind of like weird voodoo witchcraft stuff to help people with sickness. I wonder in like 200, 300 years if they'll look back back at us and go, man, those people were silly. They really were dependent on medicine. I'm not saying medicine's bad. Medicine does a lot of good things. But I, I've just got done, I'm listening to a series of lectures uh, by a neuroscientist who says that it's really fascinating that they're trying to make the brain all chemical-like because drugs, all drugs can do is deal with chemical stuff. But the brain seems to be so much more than a chemical thing. We won't get into that right now, but what I'm saying is even some of our beliefs now are kind of insane. There are, we put our kids on a particular drug to get rid of ADD and ADHD just 10 years ago that now there's like, oh, that was not good. We shouldn't do that. Folks, don't abandon your Christian belief in prayer just because you got Tylenol. If anything, just do both. Right? I'm not a Tylenol guy. I'm an Advil guy. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Advil's awesome. You know, five kids screaming in the house. Advil. Probably not the right answer. So we've given up, we've separated religiously and philosophically without realizing that it was just a cover to introduce new philosophies like positivism, amen, and naturalism, a world that believes it's all physical, that you think you're conscious, but that's just an illusion of physical properties in your brain making you think. How absurd. I'm going to say this because I believe truth is fundamentally important. I say this statement, but I want you to hear it. I don't believe that we should just be spouting off everything. I'm against lies. I think our president speaks many lies, by the way. I think he, I I just don't understand it. And I need to pray for him because that's what the scripture commands. So I just pray for him. I just pray humility comes his way. So I am against certain speech. Interestingly enough, and I know we live in a world that anything's free game, especially in our culture. But I am against political correctness, and I'm against political correctness because it suppresses, not because it suppresses speech, but because it suppresses the truth. When you say you can't teach something because it's religious, that already has all my alarm bells going off. Because that religious thought has been around way longer than your modern thought. I do, that. I'm going to rebel against that. With gentleness and love, I'm going to rebel against that. We got to hurry it up because I'm over, so let's go. <laughs> Next slide. There is no use, there is no use talking today until presuppositions, worldviews are taken into account, and especially the crucial, crucial presuppositions concerning the nature of truth and the method of attaining truth. When we have discovered as well Uh, When we have discovered as well as we can a person's point of tension, the next step is to push him toward the logical conclusion of his presupposition. As I push a man off his false balance, he must be able to feel that I care for him. Otherwise, I will only end up destroying him. 
Pushing him towards the logic of his presupposition is going to cause him pain. Therefore, I must push. I must not push any further than I need to. Here's what this is. This is Francis Schaeffer. I just put this in here because I want you to be careful. So many Christians bring the truth so powerfully that they bowl over people. And, and, I, and that is wrong. That is disobedient to Jesus. Okay? Our gentleness, when we bring truth, we are supposed to bring it in love. We bring it in such a way that people feel like we care for them. What Francis Schaeffer is saying, he wrote, he's written so many books on this, but our intellectual position, our philosophical position, our theological position is superior to that of the world's, okay? There's no doubt. Anybody who studied apologetics, um, or if you're starting to come to think you be, uh, as we present, one of the things that I love about it is very rarely, even in a, in a non-Christian setting, do people have an argument against you. We have a very powerful worldview that answers almost all the questions that make up humanity. Not all of them, but almost all of them. Our arguments are superior. I'm finishing up a book written by a group of atheists, and it's laughable, their arguments. All of their arguments could easily be thwarted, because that's where they're at. We have a very powerful position. I know you have to take my word for it, but you can study it yourself. What Francis Schaeffer is saying, don't, don't, don't go in there and say, your argument's stupid. And just, you know, try to like, I don't know, jet Liam with your apologetics. What he's saying is, hey, bud, I'm going to pray for you. You got that one wrong. I'm going to put my arm around you. I want you to know I love you. <laughs> I'm not trying to do this. I was like you, dude. I didn't know the answer either. But here's the answer. That's what he's saying. Because I don't care if you're left or right politically, and I'm using politics a lot because that's what our world's into right now. I don't care. When you change your mind or when you try to get someone to change their mind, get them to change their worldview, it is a painful experience. That's their security blankie. Our worldview is our security blankie. Okay? Don't be mean. Do it with gentleness and love. Let's skip a bunch because I'm way over. The band's ready to go. They're going to kick me out in just a minute or they're going to make me sing with them, both of which are undesirables. <laughs> Let me just end with this. There are two things I want you to take away. There are two things that we as citizens must think. One is that we need to pray and we will have the peace of God on us, on our side. The peace of God will be in our hearts and our minds guarding us. Second, we must think on truth. And when we think on truth, think about whatever is noble and worthy and praiseworthy. All of those things, all the good things that come. In fact, you need to spend all of your time doing that. Watch the movies. If you're watching movies that are contrary to truth and purity and, and all those things, and, no, and praiseworthy and all that, question why you're watching those movies. Listening to the music. Right now in this world, it's pretty depressing out there. I would just say as Christians, we need to just focus on, on what's worthy. You know what? Um, it, there's nothing wrong that 
Maybe in your house you're just going to listen. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to have Katie and them just all the time singing at your home? Just, Just loving. In fact, why don't the band just come on out right now? They're laughing back there, so just call them out. But wouldn't it be awesome just to be able to worship in the morning, your kids get up, you know, in my house, it's like, I mean, night of the living dead, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like, if you get them up before noon, you hit that button on them. Wouldn't it be awesome? They just come on down, and the Holy Spirit just takes over, and you're listening to worship. We can all dream, right? We can all pray. We can all spend our time all the days long thinking on what is good and true. And I promise if you do that, I promise. I've experienced it myself fully. It's awesome. The peace of God will be on your heart and on your mind. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for a patient congregation. And Lord, I pray against clocks that count down. But Lord, I pray your truth will penetrate souls. And that today, hundreds of people will come and pray more and more as they see the day of the Lord approaching. In Jesus' name, amen.